How's it going, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you, as always, by Action Specialty Coffee and Natural Supplements. Go to drinkaction.com, that's action with a K. Use code word curious and you'll get 15% off your order. All of your favorite specialty roast coffees, your performance supplements, MCTs, turmeric, hemp, even some really awesome new apparel. Make sure you go check it out. And if you sign up for a subscription, you'll save 20%. Drinkaction.com for the best specialty coffee and natural supplements you'll find. Enjoy the episode. My guest today is a coach of Muay Thai and boxing at Stout Academy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's also an author. He wrote a book called The Combat Sports Manual, which is a book designed to provide workouts and different types of physical training activities for people in the fight space or that want to train like that. He spent time in Thailand training, and uh, he does some really fun and interesting fight breakdowns on social media. Uh, He came very highly recommended, and I enjoyed my conversation with him a ton. Really cool guy, and I look forward to having more in the future with him. Give it up for my guest, Will Morell. Kids in there. And I wonder, you know, is that kind of how you got started or did your journey into Muay Thai and martial arts, you know, is that something that came on later in life? Uh, both. So uh, I did traditional martial arts. Uh, I started when I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And, uh, you know, there's definitely some good things to be taken away from that distance control, confidence, you know, competition experience, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's not really, so not obviously the same thing. Uh, and then I wrestled for a year in high school. Uh, I was pretty terrible, but uh, again, learned tons from it. And then when I went to Penn State, I, uh, you know, I was already obsessed with MMA at that point. So I knew I wanted to join the boxing team and uh, yeah, tried out and did that for four years. Then whenever I was done boxing, I had already during the summers, I trained a little bit at the original, the old, old gym back in uh, Lawrenceville. So I knew Warren and Mike and uh, I'd heard through a friend of mine that they needed a new boxing coach. So I hit them up. They, you know, were like, come on in. Came in on a Saturday, sparred with the guys, uh, you know, just showed them kind of the, the stuff that I know. And uh, they liked me. So I started sort of hanging out there and training them. And that's when I really started learn, learning Muay Thai. So, you know, I started training and getting more serious with it. And then uh, I think maybe a year, year after that, I was in Thailand and training and I fought there. And uh, yeah, I just kept going ever since. <laughs> so you're a traditional boxing fan then? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like I like all combat sports. Uh, you know, that's just what I happen to end up doing. But yeah, you know, what's your thoughts on all the different celebrity aspects? In I mean, fucking Ben Askren's fighting Jake Paul now. I mean, do you do you look at that as like a positive? I'm I'm psyched by it because I think it I think it gives a level of respect back. God forbid. I mean, unless Ben ends up face first on the canvas again, but you know. I, I like it because it's, I think bringing eyeballs otherwise that wouldn't be fans of the sport and it's an opportunity for boxing, but I've talked to a lot of other people that are kind of like put off by it. Where do you fall on something like so that? So I just posted about this on Instagram today. I, uh, I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I just like fights, you know, like you said, we're getting more people into it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's entertaining, you know, like we're going to see 
this guy who's, you know, a YouTube star and is obviously, you know, a good athlete and clearly has some boxing skills. I guess he's been boxing for a while. I don't really know much about them, but you know, he's going to fight Ben Askren, who's a longtime fighter, clearly not a stand-up specialist, but uh, you know, that's, that's interesting to me. I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> Have you watched any of Jake's fights or his training at all? I haven't. <laughs> no, I saw the, the highlight of him knocking out uh, uh, Nate Robinson. Uh, and no, I lied. I did see one or two things on Instagram of him, like, you know, sparring or something, but you know, it's not, not something I follow too closely. Yeah. I was, I, I gotta admit, I was kind of surprised. I watched, no, I didn't watch the actual fight, but I've watched different clips because I've been caught up into this soap opera a little bit and I'm like, fuck, you know, I don't want to disrespect Ben and just the fact that he's, he's been on that stage competing in combat sports his whole life. So, I mean, it's kind of like Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It's like, you can't, you can't discount that. Exactly. But, man, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, I guess it's only fair to give credit where credit's due. Jake Paul looks sharp. He's training with the right people. Now it's easy to do that when you're fighting a, an NBA basketball player that's never stepped foot in a ring before either. But, exactly. I mean, the other thing you got to remember is that, you know, uh, he's young. He, what is he like in his like early mid twenties, right? Something like that. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that you see in boxing in particular, you know, people hit their prime way earlier because it's a speed-based sport. Um, you know, it's not, it's not MMA where you can wrap people up. It's not, you know, Muay Thai where you can, you know, clinch and slow things down and use, you know, uh, just more tactics to, to slow it down. So, you know, Ben's not known for being the fastest guy in the world. So, yeah, I really don't know. Uh, that's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see, like, if he, if he happens to be able to pull it off, where does it go from there? Because I imagine, like, the momentum and the confidence boost is going to get you a little – I mean, you're already dealing with, a, it seems like, a very cocky individual who wants to prove that he's got something to, to give to the sport of boxing. But you beat Ben Askren. I mean, he's talking about McGregor which I didn't think had a chance in hell, but if you beat Ben Askren, you might actually get that nightmare in front of you. And I think that's a completely different animal when you're talking about a striking match, right? Definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's the danger of this is if he beats Ben, then, then what, you know, then he's going to have to, you can't go down from there. He's going to have to fight someone who, you know, like you said, a Connor, someone who can really strike and has been doing this forever. And then, you know, that's a nightmare for him. But uh, I mean, also, you know, who knows if he's going to beat Ben. That, that, another thing that people don't realize is that boxing does have grappling aspects to it, you know. Uh, you know, if Ben can tie him up and clinch him up early, maybe wear on him. We don't know if, uh, you know, he's going to have any any power in the later rounds. How long is it going to be? What, an eight-rounder or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think they said eight rounds. They make it to eight rounds. You know, Ben's going to be fresh. That dude's – he's a real athlete, you know. And, uh, you know, anything could happen there. So – I don't know, but like you're saying, yeah, if he gets past Askren, then he's going to have to fight some real competition. He's going to have to fight, you know, either real boxers or, you know, more striking based MMA fighters. And that might not go so well for him. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it always makes me laugh too, because you were mentioning like you, you box at Penn state. So was that club or is that like, I, I remember I had a history teacher actually, John, and I'm now I'm wondering if he's related to Warren and, and all those guys, his name was John Stout. And he was a boxer at Lock Haven University. And he was mm -hmm. like, he was a substitute teacher 
for like a semester in high school. And then he took on actually like got a full-time position. He's actually, now it's even weird. He's the one that took me over to that boxing uh, gym in Salamanca, New York for the very first time and introduced me to those people. And uh, I've lost touch with him. His name was John Stout, but he, he was a badass. And I remember him telling me like, especially in college, everybody's a tough guy. Everybody's a fighter, but there was guys like him that, if you fucked with them at the wrong place, at the wrong time, you were going to really regret that. And I remember a story too, of a kid who was on spring break, ocean city, Maryland, uh, big bodybuilder looking guy with a bunch of friends was kind of talking shit. And this guy didn't look like much. And they went down a back alley and this dude put just a beating on him and come to find out had some boxing training. So, you know, I, I don't know. I see this whole thing happening and it's like, guy like jake paul now i see people on instagram everybody's hitting the bag now everybody's a fucking boxer and i'm just thinking how many more er visits are going to happen in the next six months because somebody thinks that they can go out and talk shit and back it up like jake paul who knows (laughs) i don't know i uh i I think if someone really dives into it you know i mean i'm I'm sure you know like the the real fighters they don't want to go out and scrap so yeah, if, if someone if someone just dips their toes in and they, they're feeling cocky, that, we might see a lot of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think it's a good segue, right? Because I know you wrote a book. I did, yeah. And it's available on Amazon, right? Yep. As well as your website? Yeah, yeah, willmoral.com. The book, it's Combat Sports Manual? Yeah, actually, I should have had this ready. Hang on one second. Yeah, no, pull it up. <clears throat> yeah, the Combat Sports Strength and Conditioning Manual. Yeah, this picture of Mike Wilkins on the front. (laughs) Oh, nice. There you go. I, it really interests me. I didn't know that you wrote a book and I was, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was initially thinking about reaching out to you for the second time, I was like, oh shit, he wrote a book. And it, it fascinates me because that was the whole reason I think to my point earlier that I got into martial arts was around strength training because I grew up an athlete. I played uh, division three baseball. I got into powerlifting. I ballooned up. I was you know, Mr. Tough Guy. And that kind of faded. And I saw it was like when MMA was at its prime, right? It's like 2011. Everybody was kind of coming mainstream. And the realization that I had was that these people were by far the most conditioned, in shape athletes beyond anybody, right? From a combination of strength, functional strength, flexibility, speed, power, explosiveness, they encompassed every aspect of that. And so that's why I started to go there. I had nothing to do with fighting. I didn't really want to get punched in the head. You know, I had no experience. I just thought, why not go and train with a bunch of people who will push me in these areas? And when I saw you wrote a book, I'm like, well, shit, this is right up his alley. And I was going to kind of try to bridge it with, you know, how does a guy like Ben Askren or Jake Paul prepare for something like this? But I think take it back even further just to the fundamentals and basics of what you write about in this book and kind of what's important from your perspective. Great question. And, uh, you, you actually covered a lot of it right there. You were saying how, you know, these fighters have all these different physical attributes. Um, and a lot of that gets developed through, you know, fight sports themselves. And that's a really key part of my training program is that I try not to do things that are too redundant. So, you know, for example, if I've got, and it also depends on like the style of fighter that someone is, you know, so if I'm training a fighter and they're on the mats nonstop and they're, you know, 
I don't know, in the gi, for example, a lot, not that a lot of fighters are, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to do a ton more grip work because they're already doing a lot of that. If anything, I'm going to have them do, you know, extension through their hand to try to offset that. Um, and, uh, same thing with like neck stuff. I'm not too excessive with it. So all my guys clinch a lot and, you know, one, they're building skills through that. And two, they're building neck strength. You know, you're carrying a person. So when we're in the weight room, I'm not having them do, you know, 10 sets of extended neck exercises, you know, um, granted, if you're a boxer and you're not clinching all the time, then yeah, that's, that's a good idea. So yeah, I try not to be redundant. I try to focus on the things that really matter, building absolute strength, building power. Um, you know, you're not going to build a ton of absolute strength on the mats. Um, just, you know, due to the fact that there's not enough resistance generally. So, um, you know, I have my guys lift relatively heavy and pretty low reps, uh, and try to stay fresh because, I don't want them so burnt out from the weight room that they get on the mats and then they're diminished out there where they're building skills, which really matter. Um, and to build strength doesn't take that much time, I suppose. So, you know, we'll do three sets of you know, three to five reps on a strength exercise, long rest in between, nice and fresh, and then they're good to go on the mats. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the, the, the core things there. Um, I include power training into every session. Uh, cause again, you know, there's no point in being strong if you can't access that strength quickly. Um, I do a ton of, you know, uh, rehab or prehab exercises, whatever you want to call it, uh, in between our, our sets, right? So, um, you know, if they hit a heavy set of squats, uh, well, one MMA fighters tend to tend to rush things. So they might hit a heavy set and then, you know, 30 seconds later, they're trying to hit their next one. And obviously they need more reps then that's when they get hurt. So I sprinkle that in between the big heavy stuff, uh, obviously make sure it doesn't interfere with that. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I just try to, try to get a nice mix of everything without being too redundant and really focus on the things they need uh, without overworking them. Mm -hmm. Where do you fall with conditioning and cardio as it pertains to like road work? Cause I like boxing's always been big about like going on the runs. And I, I had a conversation with Dr. Corey Peacock about this <clears throat> and He's connected with Chris Algieri and did some um, strength and conditioning training with him. And now Chris is a part of that Sanford MMA squad down in Florida where Corey is. And, you know, Corey said that Chris came into the gym, was like really big on the runs and Corey's not big on running. He actually thinks that there's some detriment to that, but that he tries to understand that there's a psychological effect, especially with boxers, that they just need to go get that road work in. But, you know, I, I'm always curious because I think it's such a widely disputed concept, right? Like, do you get your conditioning just from training or actually going out and focusing on conditioning? Oh, again, they're open a big can of worms there. So uh, first off, there's, I mean, in strength and conditioning, there's a million ways to do things, right? So I'm not going to be like, oh, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. Uh, the other thing is I'm really biased. I absolutely hate running. Uh, I had to do it all the time in college and I'm not a fan. I just, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, and I don't make any of my fighters do it. With that said, there are some guys who just love it and they feel like they need it. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, in terms of how we run, that's what I think is important. So we want to have a good aerobic base, uh, but I don't see the point of running marathons if you're training for you know, a uh, three, five minute round fight, you know, that's just, it's not, it's not the same thing. Um, and again, we need that aerobic base, but there's a lot of different ways to get it. Uh, me personally, I hate running. 
Uh, and part of the reason I hate that is like, I'm not naturally the most durable athletic person in the world. Um, so, you know, when I was doing all this running, I didn't really understand. I was getting joint issues all the time. I had a really hard time, you know, keeping, keeping strength in certain areas of my hips and stuff, uh, which keeps your joint safe while you're running. So I think you have to have a prerequisite amount of strength to be able to run, um, which I didn't necessarily have at the time. Um, and it's also kind of body type dependent. Like, you know, you're not going to, I'm naturally, I have like pretty good endurance and all that running, I don't think helped me. I should have been lifting more. Um, but if you have someone who's naturally really strong, run, 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 get after that cardio. Uh, with that said, again, million different ways to get that cardio. So if people like to run, cool. People like to swim, cool. Personally, I feel like get in the gym, you know, do pad rounds for an hour straight. That's your aerobic base, you know, um, go and wrestle that's your aerobic base. I don't really see a huge need to uh, get outside of that. And additionally, we're getting skill work while you're doing that. So I think that's a, a really good way to kill two birds with one stone. Um, with that said, occasionally we do need to do some things that are just conditioning days. So uh, when it's nice outside, I take the guys outside, we do some sprints. I think that's a little bit more fight specific, especially when we're talking about amateur fights, um, you know, or it's faster pace, you know, just three, two minute rounds sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and also when we get closer to fights, we'll do what we call fight sims. So, uh, whatever their competition is, I'll have them do like one, maybe two extra rounds outside of that. So for example, if I've got someone who's getting ready for a pro fight, it's gonna be three, five minute rounds. I have them do four five minute rounds where every 30, you know, 45 seconds, they're switching between, um, you know, striking, grappling drills, uh, maybe pushing a sled uh you know anything that they might encounter in that fight however they're going to have to use that their body so mm -hmm. um and then of course that gets specific to who they're fighting so if they're fighting a wrestler it's going to be a lot of takedown defense um but getting back to the strength and conditioning part of that uh i just try to target like what they're going to use so they might be holding you know digging under hooks on someone and really grinding against the cage for 30 seconds straight and then immediately they've got to go crack pads and they have to have that you know uh, that explosivity, even after draining, uh, you know, their arms and everything really <laughs> after cage mm -hmm. wrestling. Um, so again, getting back to the running, is it necessary? I say, no, there's obviously, you know, tons of great fighters who do it. Um, and, uh, Oh, that's another thing you touched on that I think is important. Sometimes the physiological benefits aren't necessarily what's important about that method of training. So, um, again, if someone's like, Hey, if I run three miles every day, that puts me in the right headspace where I think that I'm not going to get tired. That, great. You're probably not going to get tired. The placebo effect is real. Um, you know, American wrestlers are oftentimes physiologically overtrained, but that kind of leads to their mental toughness. So, you know, as long as you're not hitting that point of diminishing returns, go for it. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, a million different ways to, to do it. I personally don't like it. Hope that answered the question. <laughs> no, it, it's interesting because this, I, I mean, there's a big fight coming up with uh, Usman and Burns mm -hmm. and Usman's notorious for not running because of knee problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, and I don't think you can find somebody who you could say has like hands down better cardio than him. He's like at the top of the food chain when it comes to conditioning. And that seems to come strictly from just training and building up that cardio base. And I'm sure, I mean, the guy's a freak. So there's, just natural ability that comes along with that, you know, but 
I, I always kind of go to him. And then I think you taught, you said something else that was important and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could have really good cardio from running, but that may be a little different than cardio from grappling, right? Because as you know, my ass getting back into jujitsu, I'm, I'm not in great cardio from running either, but the first few nights on the mats, I would have thought that I'd never ran in my entire life because it's just a different type of cardio, right? Because your, your blood is being pumped to muscles that you aren't using when you're running and you're using up all that oxygen that's in your system. So I don't know what that mechanism is. I'm ignorant when it comes to like physiology, but to me, it seems like it's completely different anyways. Yeah. So first off, everything in sports is like very specific. So, you know, if you want to have grappling endurance, you've got to grapple. Um, you know, if you want running endurance, you got to run. Um, actually really good example of that. Uh, Paul Felder, when he just came back and fought, he was running and doing triathlons and stuff. And there he was wrestling and, you know, getting tired from it. Um, because like you said, it's, it's different. Uh, so one, we have different bioenergetic systems, right? We've got the phosphagen system. We've got our, uh, you know, glycolytic systems and our aerobic systems. Obviously MMA fighters have to have all of that. Um, but I mean, even within that, like I was saying before, there's sport specificity. So, you know, if we're building muscular endurance in your lower body from running, and then you have to go and wrestle and like we're saying, digging under hooks against the cage and holding weird, you know, positions, uh, where you're, you know, isometrically burning out your muscles, that's totally different. And, uh, yeah, if you don't train specifically for that, your body's not going to be prepared. Where do you fall like with diet? as it, as it pertains to that, obviously like strength and conditioning is a big part. Diet always goes hand in hand with strength and conditioning. I'm assuming you're not going to tell me just go and eat whatever you want, but I I mean, do you have a a philosophy on that? I mean, I, I, well, one, I'm not like a nutrition specialist. So, you know, I dabble a little bit, I know a little bit about it, but uh, you know, I'm not like the end all be all resource for that. With that said, um, I try to keep things as simple as possible for my fighters. Um, So Number one is, you know, they have to get enough protein. That's pretty obvious. I always tell them somewhere between 0.7 and one uh, gram of protein per pound of body weight that they have. Um, as long as they're hitting that, then I want them to eat, you know, healthy fats because your body needs that. Those are all just requirements. And then carbs, uh, specifically when you're going to work out. Um, and this is really important when they're like cutting weight or they at least have to like keep an eye on their weight. Uh, so, carb timing is slightly more important there. And obviously if they need to lose a good amount of weight, um, I'll get a little more specific about that. Uh, but for the most part, it's just like, you know, it's not rocket science, eat foods that are healthy. You know, if, uh, if I saw them eating it, would I go like, Hey, don't do that. You know, it's, it's not super difficult. And, uh, you know, I mean, there were times that I would read like all kinds of studies about various chemicals and certain vegetables and stuff and all their, you know, the physiological, uh, changes that can happen if you ingest certain amounts of them and stuff. And, uh, you know, the further and further I went down this rabbit hole, I was, I took a step back and I was like, wait a minute, I'm reading all these studies. And at the end of the day, the, the conclusion that I would actually pass on to my fighters is just like eat vegetables, eat healthy foods. Um, so again, I don't think it's rocket science. Uh, again, it can obviously get much more, uh, specific and scientific, um and for world-class athletes who have to like really dial things in it's important to be on point with that uh with that said for the average fighter for the average person get your protein requirements eat some healthy fats eat carbs when you're working out pretty much good to go there yeah and i'm glad you brought up weight cutting because 
this is one too. I'm just hitting you with all these like rapid fire controversy, like put, right on. <laughs> give me your opinion on this. Will. put yourself out there. But um, you know, I've had people on who have said, Hey, look, weight cutting is just, it's a, it's dangerous. We should do what, you know, one FC does. We should try to do some sort of hydration test. People should fight at their own weights. And then I've had other people on, I talked with Mike Dolce and he's like, don't be fooled. Those, those hydration tests can be manipulated just as easy as everything else. It sounds great, but it doesn't solve the problem. And, you know, if you cut weight properly and you do it the right way, there's very minimal risk to that. And I'm sure there's truth on both sides of that. Right. But as somebody who, you know, you're working with a lot of amateur and professional athletes. So weigh-ins are, are kind of structured differently in that sense. And so you get to see fighters who really kind of get to fight close to their problem. I would imagine from an amateur perspective, they're fighting pretty close to what they're walking around at because they don't have the time to rehydrate as much where a professional is really trying to cut that weight as much as possible and then pack it on before the fight. Do you see a difference? And is it even possible to see a difference because you're dealing with pro versus amateur? Yeah. Oh man. There's so much to unpack here. I uh, talk about this forever. So, uh, yes. So in amateurs, if they're weighing in the same day, uh, and when I say same day, I mean, they're weighing in in the morning and they're fighting that night. If they're weighing in at like three o'clock and fighting at like five, you're not cutting anything. You're cutting, you know, one, two pounds just to like hit whatever number they need. Um, but if, if they actually are going to get, you know, a solid, you know, rest of the morning, afternoon to rehydrate, I never let them cut more than 5% of their body weight, uh, with, with the water cut. Um, they can obviously lose weight leading up to that, but I don't want them cutting more than 5%. And ideally less like less is more in that uh you know situation um so you know we're looking at pretty pretty minor weight cuts there obviously the higher in weight you get five percent becomes a little bit more um but i really don't want my guys cutting even close to five percent honestly i, I but five percent anything more than that i just say no um pros my limit's ten percent uh and again not that they should be cutting ten percent um just that's like the kind of limit that i say anything past this and we're getting into dangerous territory. Um, so that's kind of like the major difference between pros and amies. Um, in terms of weight cutting, just overall, uh, in an ideal world, I don't think there should be any weight cutting. Uh, I think that there should be like really vague weight classes, just kind of like, Hey, this guy's like somewhere in the 160 to 180 weight class. Um, and obviously there's no way that this could happen just cause you know, mm -hmm people are always looking for a competitive edge. Uh, but, you know, people just go like, hey, that guy's roughly my size. Let's go fight, you know. Uh, and uh, I think that's how it should be done. Obviously, not how it works. Hydration tests would be better. Um, like Dolce was saying, there's ways to, you know, get around that. Um, and people are always going to game the system. Uh, but I think that more testing would probably be better. And if they can get them to cut less weight, that's awesome. Uh, with that said, we're, that's not where we're at, at least uh, outside of one FC. So, you know, I try to keep my guys uh, in, in the right amount of, you know, weight that they cut. Um, but unfortunately, they have to cut weight. You know, if you get a guy who walks around at 155 and he fights at 155, he's going to end up fighting a monster who's 180. Uh, so you do have to cut some weight, but then you hit that point of diminishing returns where, you know, your cardio starts to lack. Um, or maybe some of the snap comes off your punches or you can't take punches as well. Uh, and that's something that I dealt with a lot in college. I cut down the 
165. I'm 6'3. So like, that's, you know, I was pretty skinny. And uh, especially my senior year, uh, I did a lot of fights at 175, just because it was hard for me to make the weight. You know, I was probably hovering around 180, 185, somewhere in that range. And then uh, for nationals, I went back down to 165. And my last college fight ever was probably one of my worst because I just had no, no cardio, no pop. So I get out there, I'm just sluggish, I'm moving, I'm just trying not to get hit and uh, really couldn't do much. So one way of bringing this back, I try not to put my fighters in that situation. I adhere by those rules. Amis are never cut more than 5%. Pros are never cut more than 10%. And uh, I really try to make sure they're doing it properly, rehydrate properly, and uh, you know, hope for the best. <laughs> what's, your, what's your basis behind the, the percentage there? Is it just kind of when you look at 10%, so from a pro, 10% on a 150 pounder is 15 pounds, right? So I think that's right. I, I'm probably yeah. making myself look like an asshole because I don't know how to do general <laughs> math, but I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that kind of the, the thought of like just knowing that somebody at that weight can safely just from experience lose that 15 pounds based on their body mass and, and get back to that? Or yeah. are you kind of tapping into other data points that you've learned along the way? Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. One is just anecdotally, I've been, you know, through a ton of fighters weight cuts now and I kind of know roughly like you know what they can handle um also I saw some uh really good information uh, about UFC fighters and how much weight they cut uh and uh man, I forget exactly it was a really cool table it showed like percentage of winners how much they cut the percentage of the losers what they cut and uh unfortunately the winners are cutting about 10 percent uh and the losers were, I think we're cutting a little less, maybe I'm mixing that up, but I know that, uh, right around 10% was that sweet spot. Um, and again, I try not to have them go all the way to 10% because I think that's, it's excessive. Uh, that's when, you know, medically speaking, they kind of consider that like severe dehydration. Mm -hmm. So I really try not to put them in that situation. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so anecdotally, uh, the fact that that gets you to severe dehydration and, uh, the data that I've seen, uh, about fighters being successful, how much they cut. That's kind of where I got that number from. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, there's a, and it's interesting cause there's a lot of studies and I, it's just leading me into everything that I want to talk with you about, but it's from like a head trauma standpoint, I would imagine dehydration plays a huge part in that, at least from the little bit that I've read, right. That just being dehydrated, I don't know what the factors are from that, but allows you to be impacted much more severely by brain trauma yeah 100 so if you you know cut too much weight you're not going to be able to replenish the amount of cerebral cerebral spinal fluid that you need to cushion your brain and take those impacts um which you know the brain's not, not great at taking impact anyways and when you take away one of its main mechanisms for you know, defending against that uh super dangerous situation that's why the deaths that you see in boxing are always the lower weight classes where guys are sucking tons of weight. It's not the heavyweights who are just, you know, kind of, uh, as healthy as they can be. Um, who by the way are punching exponentially harder than somebody at a lower weight class. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which in some ways I also kind of think in, in the same way that MMA, I think is safer than boxing in that way. Um, where if you get hit as a heavyweight and just lights out fights over, you're good. Um, well, you're not good, but you know, it's, you're not getting hit in the head anymore. Same thing with four ounce gloves. I feel like guys get put out and also the fact you can hit them on the ground. Uh, you know, the fights get stopped after that. Whereas if you take a boxer who's 
you know, 115 pounds, or I guess fighting at 115 pounds, they might weigh, you know, 125 uh, on fight night, and they're just crushing each other. And these are, you know, serious punchers. Uh, you know, it's obviously not the same impact as heavyweights, but it's just repeated, repeated, repeated effort. Um, and especially in boxing where, you know, you get eight counted where you're severely concussed and these dudes are so tough that they'll get back up within eight seconds. And then they go and get concussed again, worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, over the course of a, a longer fight, that's, that's not good for the brain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about Calvin Cater and Max's fight. And just, it's like, to your point, I can't think of one time I've ever watched a heavyweight fight that was a brawl like that to your point. I mean, I, not to, not that there hasn't been like a really good heavyweight. I don't want to like put that there hasn't been good heavyweight fights, but there's, I can't think of like a five round war where guys just put that much volume on each other. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the Kane JDS fight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, that is, uh, I, I agree. I think that it's more common at smaller weight classes uh, than to see at heavyweights. Yeah. So what's the like protocol over in Thailand when it comes to weight cutting? Oh, man. Because <laughs> they just... fight like all the time, right? I mean, it's yeah. like you'll have somebody that, that I don't know if it's like weekly, but I feel like what I understand about people in Thailand is just like, you want to fight tonight? Yeah, sure. Well, you can fight. Tonight. Yeah, dude, it's, it's chaos. So first off, yeah, they, they fight all the time. Uh, and again, like you don't know necessarily when you're fighting. Like when I fought there, I showed up to this festival and, uh, I apparently didn't even have an opponent set up. They were just like, who, who wants to fight this, you know, foreigner. And some guy was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, so yeah, they're fighting all the time. Uh, for that, we obviously didn't weigh in cause we're kind of the, the upper limit of ties, but, uh, the ties, like the elite ties that I saw there, how they make weight, first of all, was just like, not, not good. Um, Oh man, there's just so much to say about this. So I, I saw guys the day that they were fighting sauna suits and, you know, 95 degree weather, uh, super humid, uh, just ripping pads for like, you know, eight rounds the day they had a fight. And I'm just like, dude, that, that can't be good. Um, and, you know, I obviously don't speak Thai, so I don't know if they were water loading and stuff, but just based on what I saw, I don't think that they were really adhering to the same principles that I have like my fighters use. Um, and then the absolute worst thing was uh, at uh, 13 Coins, which is this legendary camp, you know, Sian Chai trained there, um, Song Mani, you know, all kinds of great fighters were there. And uh, they had this water bottle hanging up and it's outside. Uh, so it's like a covered roof. And then there's just a bunch of rings under there, no walls. And hanging up, they had this water bottle with a surgical hose coming out and a needle. And that needle never got changed. And uh, all the guys shared it. I don't think they cleaned any of it. So they would, you know, cut weight horribly and then just, you know, bang in IVs of who knows what through this disgusting needle. Um, yeah, I think that weight cutting is definitely uh, in, in the boxing world, but especially in the Muay Thai world. I think that's a, a science that has yet to really catch up. So how did you end up over there? Was it, it was through stout? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I was only at the gym for maybe you know, a year or so at that time. And, uh, the guy who was running the program before me, uh, wanted to, you know, take a little training trip over there and Warren really made it happen. He, uh, he got me a plane ticket, sent me over and, uh, you know, I was there for, I think five weeks or so, uh, and uh yeah just kind of tossed into that world training and they're like hey you know we 
he can set up a fight for you. And uh, at that point, I'd already said, I'm like, oh, I'm not fighting anymore. But, you know, if you're in Thailand. Like, how do you turn that down? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, yeah, whatever, let's do it. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, I've never been, so it's on my bucket list. I've said that multiple times on this show. It just seems like such an amazing culture, such a different culture, but an amazing culture. Seems like a very friendly culture. Mm-hmm. It seems like all the great things that we enjoy in America and probably take for granted are just on display from food to friendliness to the great weather. Um, I mean, am I hitting on all the right things here as far as Thailand or am I gravely mistaken? No, I mean, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, the level of training there is just unbelievable. I've learned so much through training in Thailand and, and fighting there and, and you know, meeting the trainers from there. Um, I do think that it gets, uh, you know, kind of idealized a little bit by uh, people. Not saying you shouldn't go. Not saying it's not awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, by the end of the five weeks, I was ready to come home. I'm not really a hot weather type of guy. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's tons of great food and I eat all of it, all the street food, everything, which is probably why I get sick every time I go there. Um, <laughs> but like, I just can't keep weight on when I'm there. Uh, and you know, then my joints start hurting and you know, uh, there's the room, you know, your own set of problems training in Thailand, but uh, yeah, overall, it's absolutely awesome. The, the trainers there, you know, there's just so much tradition that's been passed down and, and so much technique um, and just seeing how the elite ties train. I remember the first time I was there, I was training with Sung Mani. He was only like, I don't know, 18 at the time or something like that. Uh, and I would watch him do like, I don't know, eight rounds in a row hard on the pads, like really hard. And then immediately go do bag work and then clinch work and then, you know, boxing pad work and then go spar a little bit. And, you know, this is his second training session of the day. And just like seeing that work ethic, it just seeps in on you. Um, so yeah, I mean, Thailand's awesome. Yeah. Culture is such a big part of that. You know, I, I think about some of the conversations I've heard about like the Cuban wrestling program being, you know, d- obviously way different, but very similar in that it's just, it's ingrained into the culture and it's, it's tied into that. And there's so many distractions here in America. It's like, it actually amazes me sometimes, especially today in 2021, that we do have people and like, thank God that it's like a breath of fresh air when you see somebody who's from America with all the distractions, still be focused and driven to accomplish a goal. Because I, it's gotta be easier when you're living in another place where that pursuit, that individual, you know, activity, whatever it is, is, is really center point to the culture. And so there really isn't anything. There's, there's not other pursuits of happiness. It's like you're either a fighter or, you're nothing, or, you know, you're, you're a wrestler, you're an Olympian, you're a boxer, you're nothing. And, and that's really where the social status lies in a lot of these places. Yeah. I mean, also just like the, the necessity of it. So, you know, Thailand, for example, a lot of the fighters, you know, they'll, they're guys from like Isan or, you know, somewhere that's, you know, a rather poor area. They'll come down to Bangkok, start training, start fighting just so they can make money and support their family. Um, and they have to fight nonstop to do that. And if that's the only way that you're living, you're going to get good at fighting. Like, that's just mm-hmm. how it works. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that, like you're saying, I don't think Americans truly understand that, you know, in Thailand, it's like these kids have to fight. They have to train. They, everything goes into this. Uh, I mean, even uh, Pets Morcott, I just saw a thing uh, on Instagram where, 
he had to start like delivering food on the side so that he could just make ends meet because there's not a lot of fights for him. Uh, and he's, you know, uh, elite level tie. He's a one FC champ or not one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One uh, champion. Um, and, uh, you know, cut off fights for a little while and he's not making ends meet. Like that'd be the equivalent of, you know, a UFC champion showing up, you know, delivering Uber eats. Um, so, you know, when you're put in that situation, you're going to train hard and you're going to get really good. Where does the background and culture of fighting come from in Thailand? Is there like, do you, do you know where that originates from or is it? So I'm going to butcher this, uh, but the origin of Muay Thai, I believe is there is a, a Thai warrior and to let him free, he had to like fight uh, Cambodian soldiers. And I think he defeated like 10 of them in a row uh, using Muay Thai. Uh, And I think that's like the, kind of the, the origin story i know that's like a famous legend i'm again probably butchering this horribly uh but long story short it's just generations and hundreds and hundreds of years of you know developing that fighting style uh under that specific rule set um and it's the national sport of thailand so it's you know obviously a big deal uh, they put great importance into it um and you know that leads to that culture mm-hmm. it's just it, it fascinates me so much because of how effective it is <clears throat> you know what i mean it's like you, you look around the world and you see all these different forms of combat, right? So wrestling, boxing, then you have submission grappling, jujitsu, and then Muay Thai. And I don't think somebody who's, you know, who's very skilled at boxing, that's great. But I, I just, from my view, I see somebody who's extremely skilled at Muay Thai is going to be a problem for somebody who's just really skilled at boxing. Obviously, you're, there's two more appendages that are going to be coming, but even a kick, a traditional kickboxer, that Muay Thai attack, it just seems like a problem. And the same way that somebody who understands submission grappling is a problem, even for somebody who understands how to wrestle and grapple, there's just a new level. And so that like this small little portion of the world to develop an art form that is so much more effective than all the other forms of striking across the world that have probably developed in similar fashions, but just in its own vacuum somewhere else under its own set of circumstances. It blows my mind that this little place, and then on top of it, you explaining like how they're training and it's still, you know, just the top of the top as far as skill sets. Yeah. So, oh man, a lot, there's a lot to unpack there too. So Muay Thai, I think is so effective because one, it's, it's so permissive, right? So it's not like, you know, boxing or kickboxing where, you know, there's no clinch or obviously no kicks in boxing. Um, and actually, before I dive into this, it's the practitioner, not the art. You know, if you, you can take someone who's like just an overall badass and they kind of know how to throw a punch and they could, you know, fight some dude who like knows all the submissions in the world and, you know, knows everything about fighting, but they're just like not tough, they're going to lose. But that aside, uh, why I think Muay Thai is so dominant and why it's so important is it's permissive in terms of its rule set, right? We have clinched, we have knees, we have elbows. Um, and it's super, super tough, obviously with like, we're talking about the culture and the fact that there's this ranking system and guys are just trying to work their way up. Um, and it's so important to them. Um, and also I think it carries over to other sports too. So, you know, within MMA, uh, you know, guys who are traditionally Thai fighters, um, they generally don't have as good boxing, but you can make up for that in other ways with clinch and kicks. Uh, 
also their wrestling, they can pick up really easily because clinch is very similar. Clinch is basically jujitsu standing up, you know, it's a lot of the same principles. Um, and you obviously develop insane balance. Uh, I remember AJ, uh, you know, one of the style fighters, he was in Thailand and he was talking about uh, one of the fighters just getting launched and like a cat just spinning around up in the air and his balance. And he was talking about how if this kid went into wrestling, he'd be awesome. Um, and again, a lot of that's developed through clinch. So that applies to your wrestling, that applies to your grappling. And then because we have this permissive style of striking where we include elbows, um, you know, that becomes second nature to someone uh, in an MMA environment where they can blend their punching directly into their elbows. Um, and, you know, obviously use powerful kicks and such, which that's an important thing too about Muay Thai is Muay Thai scored in a really weird way, at least for, you know, Americans, um, where punches to the head, punches in general, don't score very well. So, you know, someone might get punched in the head 20 times and then that guy kicks the other dude in the body. And now the, the guy who threw the kick is winning because uh, body strikes score, you know, really, really well. However, ties also know that if you're down on the scorecards and you got to knock someone out, they switch it over to punching. Um, so uh, yeah, long way of saying Muay Thai encompasses everything. It's absolutely incredible in that way. Um, and because it's been developed for so long in Thailand, uh, it, you know, it's grown to this level where people who train there and, and really understand Muay Thai are just, they have such an advantage over other styles. Mm-hmm. No, it's really interesting. I had something I was going to ask you just now and I completely blanked. I'm sure sorry. I, I just, I start talking and go down rabbit holes. And <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, I don't know where, oh, I know where I was going to go. So there's a guy on social media that I've heard talked about on a, a number of different podcasts and just some of the different martial arts pages that I follow. His name's Eric Samuelson. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you or not, but he's got these videos where he's kicking, um, kicking a bag, punching a bag, and there's a lot of controversy of whether or not he speeds up his videos. I guess it's irrelevant if you haven't seen it. I'm not going to make you watch it right this second, but I, I, I'm going to send you some links and I want to get your opinion because I've heard even like experts who are in the boxing community, you know, Joe Rogan's given his two cents. He's like, oh, it's real. He, he's not speeding it up at all. And this guy, he'll even have like people in the background doing other things at like a normal speed to kind of show that there's no manipulation of the video. Otherwise, it would look awkward for them too. But part of me is almost like you're going so far out of your way to prove that you're not speeding up your videos that it makes me think that you really are speeding up your videos. So without having seen these, obviously, I, I'm going to guess that it's real. Uh, one, because th there's just there's freak athletes out there. Those dudes who are so fast. It's just it's literally unbelievable. Um, and, you know, I mean, if this guy's, you know, going to lengths to show that it's not, you know, sped up. Uh, you know, eventually someone's got to be able to figure out if it, it is or isn't. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I would just assume that, yeah, there, there's, there's some freaks out there who are just so fast that it's unbelievable. So, again, I got to watch it. But I'll, 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 send yes. it. I'll send it to you. And, I, and I, was, I thought about it because I think back to the original thing that I mentioned, you break down, and you, you break down fights from, like, movie scenes and different things like that. So I'm like, okay, this – Will's used to looking at things and calling BS or, you know, giving his insight from a, a professional's standpoint. So I, I certainly want to hear what you think about that. But what, like, where did this come from? Was that 
obviously we all do it, right? I sit on the couch and I'm watching something. I'm like, oh, that's badass. Or did you see what just happened? But like, what was the first time that that became something that you were like doing a little bit more openly? Good question. So I was originally doing a lot of like real fight breakdowns, you know, so I'd show, you know, some Muay Thai fight, how someone set something up or whatever. Uh, and then I really don't know where it started, but at some point I was like, you know, watching an action movie or something. I was like, Oh, I can do like a little, you know, fake breakdown of that. Like that'd just be funny, I guess. Um, man, I really wish I knew what the first one was now, but, um, yeah, started doing that. And people were just so much more interested in that than real fights, which blew me away. I was like, this isn't even real. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I just kept doing them. Uh, and you know, one, some of the stuff that they do in, you know, fight scenes is, is legit. And when you see that, then you can be like, oh, look, I saw that in a real fight, too. Um, it's usually not done in the exact same way. Uh, but, you know, there's certain principles that uh, they definitely get right. Uh, another fun thing is when you really dive into it, and I obviously didn't realize this until I started, like, you know, cutting these videos up and, like, slow-moing it and everything. Um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of discrepancies between scenes that, uh, that I didn't notice before. So, you know, for example, they might, cause they do a lot of fast cuts in the action to make it, you know, obviously seem like it's really intense. Um, and when you break it down, a lot of these individual moments are not that intense. Um, and what I was getting to is like, you know, someone will have like a lapel grip on one side and then they'll cut to another scene and they'll have the lapel grip on the other side, uh, you know, or, you know, they just hit a right hand and then they'll cut to another scene and their you know bodies on this side or you know all kinds of little goofy things like that uh so that's fun to see in in, in movies um it just i don't know it's it's fun but movies really bother me in that like you know in this day and age everyone knows what real fights look like and so many movies like modern movies even um they just it's like they're not even trying to make it look real uh you know the everything's so exaggerated and they, it drives me crazy What's I, uh, the worst representation recently that you can think of off the top of your head? Oh, it's the worst one that's come out recently. Uh, I mean, I don't have anything good off the top of my head. The first thing that popped in my mind is I, uh, I did a breakdown of a fight in, uh, I think it was a Connery movie, and it was just god-awful. Like, just doesn't, doesn't even look like a real fight. Um, and people just accepted that back in the day. Uh, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's like more recent. Um, but there's just like the, the flow and the technique and it's over-exaggerated. I can always just tell. It drives me crazy because there's plenty of fighters out there who you could put in these, you know, stunt positions that could make it look way more real. Mm -hmm. um, and they just don't do that. I, um, when was this? A few years back, I went into an audition for... Uh, like a, a stunt position on a TV show that they're filming in Pittsburgh. And uh, I went in no experience in any sort of film stuff, but I was like, Hey, you know, I know how to fight relatively athletic. I see what happens. So I go in and there's hundreds of people. I'm like, I'm never going to get involved in this. Uh, and they started calling people back and they just had you shadow box. So I shadow box for a little bit. Um, and when everyone was done, they pulled us all aside and the guy gets up in front and he's like, yeah, you know, every single one of us told you, told us that you knew how to fight and there's only one of you who can and that's will and they pulled me up in front and i'm like super embarrassed because like you know there's all these people who have like you've been in movies and stuff so long story short i start training with these guys um never actually ended up being in the tv show but that's a different story uh and uh you know everything was about like oh you know on camera 
you can't throw a punch like this. It's got to be way like that so they can see it. And I'm like, dude, people are blind. Like they, they can see a real punch. Like I, I might have to do it slightly differently so I don't hurt someone. Um, and maybe we have to position ourselves so the camera can pick it up. But like, just use real fight techniques. Like that drives me crazy. <laughs> what, do, what are your thoughts on the Rocky movies? Uh, honestly, I don't really love the Rocky movies. Just like, I don't find them that entertaining. Um, but like the fight scenes are, yeah, they're not, they're nothing special. <laughs> I knew you were going to break some hearts. I, I have an, I'll be honest. I have an affinity for the movies more out of nostalgia. It was like the thing that my dad would be like, Hey, Rocky's on this weekend. Do you want to watch it? Um, and I saw, it may have been when Michael B. Jordan was training for, was it Creed that he mm-hmm. was in or something yeah. like that? And I think he was working with Sylvester Sloan. There was like a, a piece talking about how Sylvester Sloan really went out of his way to try to like, and I guess at the time when you compare it to like Raging Bull or other movies, as far as the actual fight scenes, it was fairly realistic. I kind of got lost after that when Michael B. Jordan said that he would beat Roy Jones Jr. in a fight. But, you know, I, I have yeah. a soft spot in my heart for it, but I had a feeling that you were going to have uh, yeah. a little bit of a... I don't love fight movies. Like, people talk, they'll be like, oh, uh, what's that MMA movie? Uh, Never Back Down, which actually, I was almost an extra in that, too. That's also didn't work out, but... uh yeah, like I just don't like movies about fighting because, you know, anything that's a little off in one, like how they're living or training, that bothers me because I obviously know that's not true. And there's just the fight scenes themselves, like, you know, fights are dramatic enough as they are. Like, I don't need these these pauses. I don't need, uh, you know, again, fake techniques. Like, just show me real stuff mm-hmm. or at least like, as real as you can make it. That's um, that movie Warrior. That was one. Mm-hmm. that was similar to that i think they actually they they did they filmed that in pittsburgh i don't know maybe if that's know. the one i'm thinking of that i was almost an extra in, but uh um because that was the one where they fought multiple times in the same weekend not even like in the same night but it's like you can fight on friday and then you're gonna like be in a five-round war and then you're gonna fight again saturday which is so unrealistic um and i think that's the movie where no you know what i'm thinking of uh fox catcher where he fought big daddy goodrich oh yeah and they changed it up and they made yeah, it he was fighting like a russian or something yeah yeah i don't know i was conflating those together but warrior all mixed warrior together one that was kind of always blew my mind i'm like okay if anybody who knows anything about combat sports i maybe in this i mean well definitely in the same night it's happened but uh next day is probably not gonna happen yeah i mean it there have definitely been tournaments like that in the past. Uh, I think they're definitely moving away from that. There's, there's a uh, still, that's how they still do college boxing actually, which, you know, it's a little less dangerous generally, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're just serious pros aren't going to be doing that. And uh, I think just overall fight movies, you know, if you're just a regular person, you don't know anything about fighting. You just want to have a good time. Sure. It's great. But if you're involved in the fight world and you know what you're looking at, I don't take anything away from those. They're not very fun for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, speaking of tournaments and actually speaking of warrior, um, I'm in, uh, I'm in business. Uh, my partner's Anthony Rumble Johnson. Oh, so, right on. Uh, Bare knuckle. Partner and yeah. And especially coffee and natural supplements company action that I'm a part of. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you saw, it just got released today. 
he and Yoel Ramiro are fighting in the first round of the new light heavyweight tournament with Bellas. And I'm like looking at that Bellator and I'm not, look, obviously I'm biased. I want my boy AJ to get a lot of credit. I think he's still got so much in the tank and this fight with Yoel. I mean, if he can, if he can score a first round tournament victory over Yoel Ramiro, I think that's going to open up a lot of eyeballs and that whole division I mean, MMA in general is so competitive across all these different promotions. And I think it's so cool. And I think it's good for the UFC too, to have all these additional promotions, generating talent, giving guys who, you know, want another option, a place to go. Um, But I mean, that light heavyweight division is top. I don't think there's a better light heavyweight division in mixed martial arts. And, you know, I mean, I, Sorry, I mean, especially now with John Jones going up to heavyweight, I don't look at Izzy until he until he fights in that division. I don't consider him a light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like there's been a lot of talent that's left the UFC and gone elsewhere in that weight class. Yeah, that that tournament's going to be insane. And uh, I mean, I think that, you know, if Rumble beats Yoel, which personally, I think he will, uh, he's probably going to win the whole thing uh he's i mean let's just let's just assume that he wasn't like super skilled which he's obviously very skilled uh he has that unbelievable power that just that it neutralizes a lot um and then you add the fact that he is skilled on top of that and i mean i i don't see him losing in this tournament uh, i think yoel is a little too small for him uh and i think that you know Johnson's got good enough wrestling that he can at least somewhat negate that. Uh, and also, I mean, we haven't seen Romero really wrestle a lot recently. He, he likes to stand up. And I think that's going to be a mistake against Rumble. <laughs> so do I. You mentioned it, man, the size. <clears throat> we were in Texas the end of the summer together down in Austin at, at um, where we have our headquarters. And I was, I mean, I was like, fuck, man, I knew you were a big dude, but I guess I get disillusioned because I know you used to fight at welterweight. So in my head, I'm just like, no, you're a small guy. When we met in person for the very first time and I was like standing there, I was, I mean, other than being like, you're a fucking monster. I'm like, how the hell did this guy ever weigh 170 pounds? Like did not seem humanly possible. And I know Yoel's, I mean, that guy's a monster himself, but Anthony Johnson is humongous. Yeah. I, well, first off, like you said, the fact that he ever made 170 just blows my mind. I don't know how he did it. He must have killed himself to make it. Uh, and, you know, multiple times, too. Like, that's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I, wasn't his next fight after fighting at 170? Didn't he go heavyweight. directly to heavyweight and he fought with Arlovsky? Yeah, and knocked him out. Yeah, like that's unreal. Um, and he's big, too, at heavyweight. He was at least the same size as Arlovsky. He was a big dude. Um, you know, he carries his power into that division as well. So him at 205, I mean, I think that's like the perfect spot for him. Um, and again, I don't think that UL is as big as people think. Um, I remember, uh, you know, be, uh, before Tyron Woodley came to the gym for a, uh, you know, seminar, you know, you see him on TV and he's just jacked and you're like, he must be huge. And I remember Lonnie telling me, he's like, no, nah, he's actually like a kind of normal, you know, 170. I mean, he's like compact. He's like smaller than you think. And I was like, no, dude, he's got to be huge. And I met him and I was like, oh, I mean, he's thick, but like, you know, he's way smaller than I expected him to be. And uh, some of the pictures I've seen of Yoel recently, again, I, th- I think it really makes him look huge. But I think that his frame next to Rumble's, I think that, that 
you're going to see the difference in weight classes for sure. I, I agree. I agree. And there's a lot of miles on those tires, you know, with all Definitely. the, all the wrestling, the Olympic wrestling from a young, young age, you know, rumbles fresh. He's got a nice little break. You know, he's, uh, he's only 36. He's, yeah. I think he, I mean, I see a title run coming. I think that's so huge for fighters too, is to like, I mean, staying active is important, but you know, especially if guys aren't loving it the way they were, um, or really any reason that they want to just get out of the gym for a while, take some time off, let your brain recover, let your body recover, lift some weights, get really strong again. Um, you know, obviously John Jones has done that in the past and, you know, is currently doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, you see a lot of guys who, you know, they'll retire and then they'll come back. And sometimes they're even fresher when they come back mm -hmm. because they're letting their body recover like that. And, you know, 30, he's what, 36, he said? 36. Yeah, at that weight class, I mean, that's really the prime age. You know, that's, you've had enough time that you can develop, you know, physically as well as understand the game well enough. Um, but you're not pushing too far to where, you know, uh, your body's, you know, diminished. Whereas uh, Romero is what, like 40? 43. And probably 47 yeah. if you looked at his real person <laughs> yeah exactly and, and like you said he's been through the ringer i mean wrestling's got to be the most you know grueling sport there is and you know i'm sure he's made weight for his entire life you know thousands of times probably and that takes its toll on you mm -hmm. um you know he's obviously eaten some monstrous strikes in the past however many wars he's had um yeah i, I think that uh you know father time catches up to everyone and i uh I think that's going to be an issue if he's fighting Rumble. You just said something that really caught my interest too when it pertains to this because you said, you know, go lift some weights again, get strong. I don't know if you know this, but like actually, the, I take it back. The first time I met Rumble ever, so I was in the cannabis business, um, still am. My brothers live in Los Angeles and we invested in a cannabis event company and we had AJ out there as like a, celebrity guest um at a we were doing an event called breaking the stigma of cannabis and sports and really trying to raise awareness to the actual medical benefits and and some of the what i would call hypocrisy and we don't have to get into all that but you know the hey we want to keep you safe so we test you for things to keep you safe but then we're going to allow you to cut 20 pounds and get in there and take brain damage right which you know to each their own but let's not be disingenuous about what's really going on here and uh, he came out there, but he was very much retired at the time, had kind of gotten into bodybuilding. And when I met AJ, he was 270. I mean, he was enormous, right? Mm -hmm. So to that point, yeah, he's probably, he's definitely today, I'm sure not as strong as he was a couple of years ago, but as somebody right now, I'm like I said, I'm probably about buck 65. I'm a hell of a lot stronger, 165 pounder, than I was before I weighed 250, 15 pounds and stayed at that weight for a couple of years. I've retracted, but I feel like my muscles have a little bit of memory of some sort to manage that weight. And I, I go in, I cert, I guess I, I didn't digress as much in my strength as I did in my overall body weight, if that makes sense, right? Yes, 100%. That's, uh, I mean, that's like physiologically how it works. Um, that's why, like, you know, uh, former fat guys always have like ridiculously strong calves because your body, you know, it's used to that. It, it had to, had to do that. It's also same reason why it's easier to like regain muscle 
that you already had than it is to grow it in the first place. Your body, you know, for lack of better, you know, like more scientific terms, it has muscle memory. Um, and if you get really, really strong, your body's going to remember that. You know, there's nervous system adaptations that your body's used to. There's, you know, physio, you know, physiological in the muscle adaptations that, you know, hang on for years. Um, so again, taking some time away from a sport that just crushes your body and doing something like, you know, bodybuilding, which is one of the healthier forms of weightlifting, um, you know, that's a really good thing to do for fighters. I think every once in a while, especially if you're hitting a point where you're feeling, you know, stale. I mean, obviously if you're killing it and you're just fighting all the time, keep going. But, um, you know, those older fighters who are like, I don't know if I want to do it. Take some, take a year off, let your brain recover. Uh, lift some weights, relax, let your body heal up and you'll come back way stronger, way better. Mm -hmm. So there was one last thing that I wanted to get your, your thoughts on, and it's kind of a new obsession of mine. Uh, bare knuckle boxing. I don't know if you've, if you've caught the, the bare knuckle fever at all, but, uh, a buddy of mine, Joe Miggs, he's kind of, I give this guy a lot of credit. He's, he's paving a path and he's working very closely with bare knuckle and Dave Feldman over there, but he's doing a lot of like interviews and I follow him. So I've kind of gotten the ability to see probably what a lot of people don't because it's not widely publicized in mainstream. But for me, it, like my mainstream is right here. You know, it's on my phone. I, I create my own mainstream and which is kind of the awesome part of the world we live in today. So I see it, you know, I'm like following all these guys, Uli Diaz, you know, I was so pumped to see Chris Lieben get back in there and end his career on a win, especially with mm -hmm. his story. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's that split down the middle. I've heard boxing purists who are like, this is horrible, not a fan of it. Other people who just want more of it. I love it, but, you know, I'm not sure where you fall or if you even had a chance to see it, but I want to definitely get your thoughts on it. So I haven't, haven't gone, you know, full in yet. Haven't watched all the fights. Uh, with that said, I am not a purist in that regard. I love, I love all kinds of fights, you know? Um, and also like, that's, that's what boxing used to be before gloves and everything. It was bare knuckle and, you know, much more permissive rule set that involved, you know, more clinching. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't understand people who are like, Oh, you know, it's like, it's hurting boxing or whatever. Um, again, it's, it's, a, first off, it's a different sport. So why do you care? Second of all, like good fights are good fights. And also bare knuckle boxing is super cool, right? Like they, they allow a level of clinching, um, which, you know, changes the game. You can't just clinch to stall now because someone who's better at clinching, they might be able to sneak their hand out and start hitting you there, especially without gloves on. Um, the fact that you get cut more easily, that's got to change some things too. You can't just like walk through punches with a high guard and you know absorb some impact to, to fire back no those your hands are going to slide through someone's guard and if you get cut in the wrong place that could end the fight so you need to have a more complex form of defense um again it's a totally different game i think it's awesome uh i like all kinds of fights um and i yeah i really don't understand the 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 boxing purists who are just like anything that's you know kind of a freak show fight like you know the the mayweather exhibition fights um, or, you know, bare knuckle taking away from, from boxing. Like, I, again, I just posted about this on Instagram today, but like, you know, Muhammad Ali fought Antonio Inoki back in the seventies 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure boxing purists weren't happy about it then, but like, you know, this isn't something new. It's not, it's not like, you know, fighters haven't wanted to just fight throughout all of history, you know, regardless of the rule set. Um, and again, when you get different rule sets, you get, you know, different nuances that come out, different techniques that get developed. We were talking about that with Muay Thai, how, you know, body kicks score so well that they became masters of body kicks. So if you train Muay Thai, you're going to get some of that tradition, even if you're, you know, an MMA fighter. Um, and now your body kicks have been improved. Um, whereas, you know, like I was saying, a bare knuckle um, or even MMA with the smaller gloves, the, the defense becomes a little bit more active in the guard, uh, a little bit more complex uh, and, and higher risk too, because, you know, with big gloves, you can take some damage and be okay. Whereas bare knuckle, four ounce gloves, it's not the same thing. So yeah, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Uh, it's, it seems like there'd be actually less long-term consequences too, because you don't have that again, same as like the lighter weight boxing. You don't have the repeated for the most part, right? You don't have the repeated punches to the head because if you get cracked enough, you're going to just go down or you're going to get cut and they're going to stop the fight. Yeah. It's ugly. You know, your face is going to get scarred up, but it's not going to kill you. It's not yeah. going to leave you, you know, stuttering and not being able to form coherent sentences, which I think you see far too much with certain people, especially in the sport of boxing. Agreed. And, you know, to the point of hurting boxing, I'm with you. I personally think, and this is just, you know, maybe it's just timing, but boxing was in a pretty shitty place for a while. You know, after Mike Tyson kind of went off into the, the sunset, boxing kind of like for the common person definitely kind of fell off. And I would credit all of the other combat sports that kind of rose up in that vacuum, UFC especially, for in a way reinvigorating boxing to the level that it's at again, because I think we're seeing a resurgence in boxing. And I, and I do, I think a lot of that is because people got back into combat sports. I'm watching boxing again because I got back into watching fighting. And so MMA pulled me back into it. But, you know, I found boxing again because of it. And so yeah. to me, I, it's like exactly opposite to what a lot of people are saying, which makes me laugh because I'm like, what are you what are you missing? Like, what what don't you see in this? Yeah. Or are you just mad because now you're not the one guy who has insight to share about something that you can't physically do? So like you're protecting this little intellectual property that you think you own to be able to talk about. And so God forbid there's something new or somebody else is going to come in and talk about it. And, you know, you can't do anything about that now because you don't know anything about the other sports and you can't physically go and compete in it. So you're kind of just like put out to pasture. Oh, I couldn't agree with what you said. So much stuff that I agree with one get, getting back to the bare knuckle boxing, being safer. There's also a limit to how hard you can hit people bare knuckle. So, you know, that obviously, you know, takes off the repeated trauma. Um, agreed that boxing was definitely not in a great place and again people like fights you know if, if you're into one sort of fighting you're going to start watching other types of fights so it definitely elevates all those levels um and again i i don't understand why you know like you're saying boxing analysts why they don't feel like they can you know then learn about these other sports if you understand one form of you know martial arts especially within the striking world you know this is what i try to teach this all the time to, to my fighters and students is that, you know, the, the techniques are not what's important in striking. It's the concepts. So, you know, for example, in, in bare knuckle boxing, the, the range is 
you know, you know, distance control. Let's just actually better example, boxing versus kickboxing, right? Distance control is an important thing, right? The concept of, you know, being out of range when you, you know, don't want to get hit and being in range when you're going to hit someone pretty simple makes sense. Obviously in kickboxing, that range is longer because we have kicks. It's not rocket science. The concept's the same. You just have to learn different techniques that fall within that. Um, and so again, these boxing guys, they're like, oh, you know, I understand jabs. I understand hooks, whatever. It's like, no, nah, dude, it's the same thing. Substitute a hook in for a round kick. When would we use this, right? Oh, we're, we're going to the body and that opens up the head. That's tons of Muay Thai fights. Look at them crush the body with kicks and then they sneak one upstairs. It's the exact same thing. And the fact that people get stuck in these individual sports drives me crazy when the concepts are the exact same thing. Even across sports, you know, in terms of jujitsu um, versus striking, you know, one thing I, I teach a lot of is any striking exchange has got to have three parts, right? There's got to be an entrance, there's got to be the damage, and there's got to be a disengagement. Same thing applies in jujitsu. So if I'm doing a boxing combination where I'm doing using like, I don't know, something simple, a double jab to close distance, I land a big right hand and then I roll out to the side as my disengagement. Same thing applies in jujitsu, right? Maybe I use I don't know, an arm drag to get to the back and that's my entrance. And then, you know, uh, I, I'm not great at jujitsu, but like, you know, I play some sort of like hand fight to get to my position and my disengagement would then be finishing the fight with a rear naked choke or, you know, standing up if you're an MMA fighter. Like, I could go on forever about this. But again, if you understand one combat sport, more importantly, you understand the concepts behind that sport. As long as you understand or can learn the techniques in another combat sport, it's all the same stuff. Well, and what a way to close, because I think for anybody who's listening to this, who's not into fighting, who decided to stick on and, and keep listening because this was fascinating you, everything we just talked about and the concepts that you just talked about, that can translate to life. Your entrance, the damage, your exit, it, it's, the, it's really no different, wh whether it's business or boxing, right? So, I mean, it's, it's massively different in, in one set of circumstances but when you're looking at just strategy it's the same thing how do you how do you set it up how do you enter how do you engage when you're there and then how do you get out exactly exactly if you just keep going to a high enough level there's similarities between everything you know it's the whole musashi thing once you learn the way in one thing you you know you see, see it, it all or, yeah exactly you see it in all things it's all the same stuff you know that's the same thing with uh you know lifting it's it's all the same stuff. There's, you know, if, if the concept, if the, the physiological adaptation I'm trying to get is, I don't know, a stronger quad, do I have to use the technique of back squats to make that happen? No, I can do all kinds of different things. And people get so caught on one specific thing. Oh, kettlebells, barbells, back squats, front squats. Dude, it's all good, right? Same thing, boxing, bare knuckle boxing, kickboxing. It's all the same stuff. Well, so it was a blast, man. Yeah, this was great. I appreciate it. Where again can they find the book? Uh, books on Amazon. It's the, uh, the Combat Sports Strength and Conditioning Manual. Um, this is the system I use with all my fighters. Uh, the whole concept is to not spend a lot of time working out so you can spend more time training uh, fight sports. So, you know, if that's your thing, check that out. You're at Coach Will Morrell? Uh, yes. Yes, that's... Uh, Coach Will, M-O-R-R-I-L-L. -L. You can see some, some breakdowns in my ramblings. <laughs> oh, thank you again. I, uh...